0: So this morning, um, as I said, Mary's going to speak to us, very excited to hear from Mary this morning, and I'm going to be reading from uh, Matthew, We're still in Matthew's Gospel, Um, from chapter 11, verses 1 to 15, if you want to follow along, uh, I believe we've got it on the screens, um, but also you can Google that, Matthew 11, 1 to 15, if you'd like to see it in front of you also, or if you have a Bible with you. Here we are, Matthew 15, 1 to 11. Matthew 11, 1 to 15. <laughs> After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For the days of John the Baptist, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the word of the
1: Lord. Thank you so much, Matt. Good morning, everyone. Um, If I haven't met you before, my name is Mary, and I'm on the staff team here at Hope. Um, If you've been here since any time since the beginning of January, and Matt touched on that, we have been working our way through the book of Matthew. Um, and today I have the honor of being up here and sharing a few thoughts with you on chapters 11 and 12. Um, the title that I was given today for this talk was How to Respond Part One, Don't Lose Your Head. And there is a part two so do not worry because Matt will clean up after me next week. <laughs> Um, I must admit, though, I did find it quite amusing when I received my title and guide, because if anyone knows me well enough, don't lose your head is a very appropriate sentence. (laughs) I definitely nearly lost my own this week while preparing for this talk whilst doing my day job and caring for a 16, nearly 17 year old with chicken pox. (laughs) Um, but I want to begin by saying that it really is an honour and a privilege um, to stand up here. And I want to recognise the people that have gone before me this term. I, like, it's been really inspiring listening to what people have to say. And I don't think any of us take that lightly week after week being here. We know how important it is for many different voices to be heard. The books of the Bible are written by many different people and everyone interprets situations differently. So I'm going to give you a little bit of mine today and hopefully that will help you think too. This is my fifth official talk slash preach, um, and I still find it quite daunting. But last week, Martin asked Chloe to read um, from Matthew chapter 10, and one particular verse really, really stood out to me, and it's helped motivate me this week. And I'm paraphrasing. But it said that Jesus tells his disciples that if when they're going out, they've gone, they're going, they're going to heal the world. If they get arrested whilst they're out doing that, that they shouldn't worry about what to say or how to say it. Because they will be given what to say by the Spirit of God who will be speaking through them. Now, I know I've not been arrested might be up here a little bit by duress (laughs) but i have been definitely worried about what to say or how to say it to you this morning um but i have to trust that god has worked with me he's working with me and he'll work for each and every one of you this morning to help personalize his word and his message in your hearts so i asked matt to read the beginning of matthew 11 for us just now i thought i'd be kind and ask him to read both chapters in full um but having myself read these chapters in four over the last few weeks in many different versions, I kept getting myself, my, I kept being pulled back constantly, constantly to John the Baptist. And the comfort that I found in what I think was some of his feelings of doubt. Um, and also, which I will touch on a little bit, what Jesus says about the Sabbath. So I thought maybe we could explore these a little bit together this morning. We heard Martin tell us last week that we should go, just like Jesus instructed his disciples, that we should put down our metaphorical baggage and some actual baggage, um, and travel light as we go, ready to encounter people, to play what our part is, and what we would say at hope here is bringing healing and wholeness to everybody that we encounter. He shared that the disciples stepped in what they were called to do, which was driving out impure spirits and healing every disease and illness. And he said that they had fulfilling lives serving Christ despite it not ending well for all of them. It wasn't an easy journey, but it was one that was worth it. The beginning of Matthew 11 is where the disciples begin those journeys. But it is also, spoiler if you haven't read this, the very end of John the beginning of the very end of John the Baptist's We read that whilst the disciples go on their travels, Jesus goes on alone to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And at the same time, John is in prison. For some context, very small context, he is there under the instruction of Herod, who had fallen in love with his own niece. And John had publicly denounced that arrangement, hence prison. I'm pleased that we are not punished now for publicly denouncing people's relationships or the bands wouldn't run as well. (laughs) In verse 2, we read that whilst in prison, John hears about the deeds of the Messiah taking place in Galilee. So he sends out his own disciples to ask Jesus, Jesus a question. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now we know from John's actions before prison that he believed that Jesus, who was also his cousin, was, was the coming Messiah. His ministry proclaimed just that. And there's one thing I do really appreciate, appreciate when putting a talk together is that you have to read the Bible. And I don't do it enough, but I really enjoy delving into it. There's an awful lot of evidence. In the book of John... In the book of John. In the Book of Luke, John's father, Zechariah, prophesies over John's life and what it would look like. It reads, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And then the very two the very two last verses of what the Old Testament said, the very, very two last verses at the end of Malachi, it reads this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. And then in the very last two verses of our reading today that I chose, John identifies John. identifies Jesus identifies John as Elijah. It said, if you are willing to accept it, He is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So that's three different books and three different words all about John. So John played a really big role in Jesus' story. He was a true servant leader, and he carried his ministry out with a lot of conviction. He had seen and testified about the Messiah. He himself baptized Jesus. He heard that voice from heaven say, This is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. John himself even called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away all the sin of the world. He knew in his heart who Jesus was because his life had been working up to this. But at that time, in that prison cell, not being able to see Jesus for himself, he doubted. He doubted so much that he sent others out to check for him. He was essentially saying in that moment moment that he thinks he believes, but he isn't 100% sure. And I've been wondering why. So I've been sharing my thoughts about John with many people in preparation for this talk. This guy believed that he had a purpose and he lived it with conviction, like I said, preaching and baptizing, proclaiming the word, proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, making sure that people were ready. Yes, he's in prison. Probably not for something it's deserving, maybe. And apart from the obvious, that being in prison, why would he doubt everything that he had worked towards? My thoughts, and I ask you to please consider your own this morning, was that if the one who was, the one who is to come, has come, had arrived, the one who would break chains and set people free, I wonder if John wondered why he was still in prison. Why wasn't he set free? I wonder if he had thought that maybe he had done everything that was imagined of him, everything that was right. He had prepared the way. Yet the Messiah is here and I'm still not free. So then it can't be who I expected. It can't be him. Maybe. I've been trying to imagine a situation for myself one in which I imagined I did everything that was right of me everything that I should have done but the outcome was not as I expected and I wonder if anyone here can think of something that comes to mind straight away I did it all I did everything I was supposed to do but it didn't end the way that I thought it would now I said I wasn't going to use our current situation as an example but it's been on my heart this week so I will for the past couple of years, our team here have put so much of our lives into the ministry of this church. Quite literally blood, sweat and many tears. Not just the paid staff, but our church wardens, our PCC, our volunteers. We too have followed guidance and rules. We've jumped through hoops and cut red tape. We've done everything and more than what was asked of us. We have building works happening. We have a plan for more building works. We have a growing congregation and committed givers, which we thank you for. We've held courses, we run events in the gardens to meet our neighbours. We support people through hardship. We have brilliant volunteers that give us godly play and hope kids on a Sunday. We've just restarted youth upstairs, a space for youth, which we haven't had since before the pandemic. So we all really believe that we're following the call, we're following the call in our lives to do what we're meant to be doing. But I've really sat this week whilst writing this and wondered, what am I doing? Who am I doing it for? What am I expecting at the end? What was John doing it all for? What did he expect? And then when it came, why did he doubt This might be a little bit out there, but imagine if right now one of our phones rang and a friend said to you, Jesus is here. Like, he's here right now. I can see him. He's right here. Would I believe them if my phone rang? Would you believe them? Would you need to see it for yourself? Would you need to send somebody to check? All of the things that I listed here just now that we do as a church... I wonder if they really matter. I wonder if Jesus was right in front of me today. Would he say, well done, Mary, you worked 20 more hours than you should have done last week. With you, I am well pleased. Or would he say, Mary, you're probably holding a little bit too much resentment towards others for all of this work that you're doing, that you're tired that you're doing too much, that you probably should slow down and rest. Later in the chapter, Jesus goes on to denounce the towns in which the most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say, you must repent, because I have my own struggles with what that means. But I do think that God knows our hearts. In verse 28, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And this week, I wonder if John the Baptist was weary and burdened. I wonder if he did what he was called to be doing here on earth, but he was also human. So he got tired, and maybe one day, unfortunately, used his words in the wrong way that put him into prison. But my ultimate thought, my ultimate wonder was, He wanted freedom. The Messiah returned and he was expecting his freedom. And maybe actually he did get it, but just not how he expected. I want to leave John aside for a moment and focus a little bit on chapter 12. We haven't read that this morning. But just to give you a guide, chapter 12 begins with Jesus and his disciples walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. And apparently they're on their way to the synagogue and they come into contact with the local religious leaders, what we would know as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees rebuke Jesus because they see that some of his disciples pick up some of the heads of grain and eat them. And this isn't the first time that he had been accosted by them. They are well and truly up in his business by this point, making accusations and attempting to to try and trap him into saying something or doing something that they could use against him. And this time, they proclaim that the picking of grain is a violation of the fourth commandment. And the fourth commandment is, remember, the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. In response to that, Jesus poses a number of questions to them to show that the man-made standard of working on the Sabbath is probably ridiculous. My favorite example that I want to show you this morning is this, in verse 11. He says to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. I don't know if anyone dedicates a day in their life, a Sabbath day, but would you leave a loved one in a pitch on your Sabbath day? I think this is a really good example of what it means to lose your head, to lose all common sense and panic. But it's really important to know that Jesus knows our hearts, not just our actions. I've been a Christian now for nearly 16 years and there are still so many man-made standards that I place on myself or allow others to place on me. I'm working from the church. I'm also in many different christian environments so i hear some of the ways that people intend to be helpful but that can also be hurtful um, i'm not going to give examples but i do want to say that we must be encouraging one another just like jesus does and building one another and not saying things that are unhelpful i didn't grow up in a church in a church i did not grow up in the church so the commandments that i was taught i was taught were if you haven't got anything nice to say don't say anything at all and to treat people how you want to be treated. And I like to think that I was probably being taught how to be like Jesus all along. Now I hope I haven't lost you right now, but I know I've and I've spoken about two different passages and it's quite a lot to take in, but I want to bring it back a little bit so hopefully you can bear with me. So in chapter 11 we saw that we see that Jesus answered with grace. And de- Jesus answered with grace the question that John posed to him, but John got his disciples to pose to him. He answered the question of doubt about who he was, while still honouring John's ministry. We heard about all of the different things that John is and how he described him. And then in chapter 12, we see Jesus reiterate the need for mercy and insist that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He actually says, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, which is a reminder that he made it and that he is the final judge of what it means to keep it or not. And for me, I like to think of that as a reminder that actually it's in him that we find rest, not in a day. I know when Matt gave me these passages, the focus was meant to be on the ways in which the hearers respond to the message to go. um, The message that had been given to them about this new kingdom. And to look at the different ways in which each person was following the call. But I really felt like God was telling me to look at the way in which I'm responding to, to the call. How am I preparing a way even now by standing up here this morning? And I felt that little nudge to encourage others to think the same. Think about how you respond every single day. I realised that he was also making me aware of the doubts that I have and letting me know that it's okay. John didn't let his doubt linger quietly, which could have easily been done in a prison cell. He boldly faced it, and I think this is the reason why it's recorded in the Bible. We aren't always just expected to believe. When when John doubted Jesus, he wasn't angry. He calmly answered the disciples' questions and gave reassurance of who he was. So today I'm reminded again of the honour and privilege that I get to stand up here and maybe give one of you, someone in this space, some reassurance. That Jesus knows you and he hears you, even when you doubt. And when I say doubt, I don't mean about faith. It could be about faith, but just doubt generally. Am I doing the right thing? Am I in the place that I'm meant to be in right now? Did I say the right thing to this person yesterday? When we think of doubt, we think of the bigger things, but we doubt on a daily basis. Even if you're here this morning, you're not even really sure who Jesus is. You're just here for community and connection, because we're good at that here. He knows your heart. He's always listening. He knew John's heart. And he's ready to connect with me, with you, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're thinking. So I have a final thought, a very, very small final thought. And it's this. How great is it to know that, like John, we can doubt, but that we shouldn't feel shame. That we're free to stumble in our faith. We're free to question. We're free to do that in community with one another. We're free to research the Bible like I have this week and find everything that intertwines and connects. We have so much privilege, so much grace, because we have a loving God who is big enough to handle it all. Amen.